Today we hear three readings. The first is from the Hebrew scriptures, from the prophet Isaiah, who is writing to the people of Jerusalem after they have returned from the Babylonian exile. And even though um, they are back in their own land and back to their lives, it is not life as usual. Difficult conditions still persist. And in this passage, we're going to hear God's promise for restoration, for hope, for relief from weeping and distress, which will come in God's time. Our second reading is from the Christian Testament from the Gospel of Luke, and we'll hear Luke's account of Easter morning and what happens when the women arrive at the tomb. And then our third reading is a contemporary a spoken word by the UK-born poet, pastor, and theologian Gerard Kelly. So let us listen for the word of God. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 19. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. Good morning. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive that the human one must be handed over to sinners and be crucified on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told this to the 11 and to all the others. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary mother of James and the other woman with them who told, told all this to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles to be an idle tale, and they did not believe the women. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and nothing more. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the Gospel of Luke. Because he is risen, by Jared Kelly. Because he is risen, spring is possible in all the cold, hard places gripped by winter. And freedom jumps the queue to take fierce place as our focus because he is risen. Because he is risen, my future is an epic novel 
where once it was a mere short story. My contract on life is renewed in perpetuity. My options are open-ended. My travel plans are cosmic because he is risen. Because he is risen, healing is, an, is on order and assured, and every disability will bow before the endless stance of his ability. And my grave too will open when my life is restored for this frail and fragile body will not be the final word on my condition because he is risen. Because he is risen, hunger will go begging in the streets for want of a home and selfishness will have a shortened shelf life and we will throng to the funeral of famine and dance on the callous grave of war and poverty will be history in our history because he is risen. And because he is risen, a fire burns in my bones, and my eyes see possibilities, and my heart hears hope. Like a whisper on the wind, and the song that rises in me will not be silenced. As life disrupts this shadowed place of death, like a butterfly under the skin, and death itself runs terrified to hide, because he is risen. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, on this Easter morning, fill us with the hope and the light and the promise of your resurrection for our lives. Help us to hear your words for us today and guide us in a new way forward. We pray this in your name, O oh Christ. Amen. Well, friends, what a year this has been. When I look back over this past year, I am amazed at all that we have been through, humbled and heartbroken and hopeful all at once. When I think about Easter this time last year, I remember being huddled in the corner of my home office at my house. I had tulips on one side that congregation members had dropped off. I had a polished cross from the church that someone else had dropped off. And a wobbly little tripod as we tried to make do of what was a very difficult situation. For most of us a year ago, the fear was still so palpable. We had the pandemic already around us for a month, but we still didn't understand the full risk and toll that it would take. Everyone around us was a potential carrier of the pandemic. Our grocery shelves were still stripped bare of toilet paper. And for most of us, our lives had sort of been turned upside down or at least come to a standstill. As schools were closed and church was closed and workplaces, many of them closed. Not only that, but we were just beginning to see the disparities that the pandemic brought to light, disparities in healthcare, disparities in economics. And yet there was so much still to come. A year ago, we had no idea of all the death that would be coming in the year ahead. 
Today, the deaths due to COVID are nearly 3 million worldwide, over 550,000 here in the United States. On this week, when the Derek Chauvin trial has begun in Minneapolis, we remember that a year ago, George Floyd was still alive. And our collective conscience as a nation was still fairly asleep. A year ago, our forests were still green. We had not yet faced the fires that were to come. And the questions that it brought up for us about how we are living in the world. There is so much that we have faced in the last year. Not only these national and global struggles, but also the personal ones. And yet here we are today, a year later, somehow having made it through, somehow being here today. Well, I think Easter reminds us that God is our somehow, that the story of the resurrection is our somehow, that somehow in the midst of so much death, there is new life that can still emerge, that somehow in the midst of so much violence, there is a way forward toward peace which can emerge. Somehow in the face of death, we can find ways to move toward healing and wholeness for ourselves and our community. Easter is that great, mysterious somehow that surprises us and emboldens us and moves us toward a future that is still emerging. I remember a year ago on Easter, this Easter, I uh, quoted an article from uh, Rebecca Solnit, who is an author who writes a lot about finding hope, especially hope in the midst of disasters. And in this article, she likened the, the time that we were in, early April of 2020, to uh, the caterpillar that is in the process of becoming a butterfly. And she noted that when a caterpillar uh, basically builds a cocoon and then dissolves itself into this gooey substance that's neither caterpillar nor butterfly, she called it a living soup. And within that living soup, she said, are what are imaginal cells. They are the cells that will become something else, that will become the butterfly. It's the holy imagination that is embedded in there that we cannot see yet, but what is to We were just at the beginning of that soupy stage this time last year. And the reality is, I think we are still in the soup. And yet, some of those imaginal cells are taking hold. And we're beginning to grow into something else. A new form is beginning to take shape, even 
if we don't quite know what it is. And so as I think about these things, and I think about our story this morning, I'm reminded that that very first Easter wasn't an Easter full of lilies and tulips and alleluias. It was an Easter that was in the midst of that living soup. It was in the midst of grief and turmoil and change into which new life was taking shape. When these women come to the tomb that morning, they are coming with hearts heavy with grief. The teacher that they have known and loved, the one that they thought was going to be the Messiah, they watched him, they witnessed him killed by the state. They watched him be buried in the tomb. And then they went home in their grief to honor the Sabbath. Well, at the very first light of Easter morning, that very first light, the morning after the Sabbath, they come to do the only thing that they know to do which is to take care of Jesus' body, to anoint his body. And yet when they come into that tomb, their arms heavy with spices, there is no body to be found. And rather than shouts of Alleluia, there is just fear. And it says perplexed, they're perplexed. A better way to say it might be that they are at a total loss. This is not necessarily good news yet. Not until they see those two men in dazzling clothes who ask them a question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's a strange question. As if they should say, we're not. We're looking for the dead among the dead because that's what happens. When people die, when they're crucified, they are dead. And yet those dazzling figures say to them, he's not here, he's risen. And then it's, they say, don't you remember what he told you that he would be handed over, killed, and in three days rise again. Don't you remember, they say. The women are asked to remember. Their women are asked to go back and remember what Jesus told them, and it says they remembered his words, and as they Remember it, it's not quite, they don't totally know what's happening, but they can sense that something big is on the horizon. They're being asked to look backwards, but not to stay there. Rather, to remember what they already carry inside them. Remember the stories that they have been given, the teachings they have been given. 
to remember those imaginal cells that are within them, that are the seeds for what will emerge in the future. The women don't know yet. The women haven't seen Jesus. They don't know what the future holds. And yet they are told that they have what they need. This idea of remembering is more than just remembering something we've forgotten. It, it has the connotation also of taking action. That when we uh, remember, when it's used in scripture, it often says God remembered Noah and his family and provided an ark. God remembered the people of Israel and sent Moses to free them from slavery. Even on the cross, a criminal next to Jesus who was crucified said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? Take action for my life. Remember me, remember me again. In this way, this remembering is, is that action of putting back together, sort of the opposite of dismember, right? We remember, we put back together. And so in, in these men calling the women to remember, it's inviting them to, to put the body of Christ back together, right? To put, to put their community back together. To remember that it is Jesus who holds them and binds them and gives them a way forward, even if they don't know yet what it will be, even if it's still on the horizon and will emerge. So I think about this for us, this call to remember is such an apt metaphor for where we are as a community that has been isolated for so long, that has felt dismembered at times in a in a, in a nation that has felt dismembered throughout this year as we have seen so many divisions by race or in violence or in politics. And yet, even within all of these, there have been moments when we have caught glimpses of what the world can be like, there have been holy moments that somehow have gotten us through, moments of clarity, moments of, of resurrection, where we have seen glimpses of how God longs the world to be. I think about all the stories after stories of people helping each other this year the essential workers that have been on the front lines. I think about some of those moments of resurrection clarity that we have experienced that will change uh, how we move forward. Ways that we've come to understand our relationships with time or a more simple life or how important social relationships are to us, how much we want to nurture the relationships in our lives. There have been profound moments of unity in the last year or two that give us glimpses of what the world can be like if we work together, if we welcome others. 
And it's these moments that are like those imaginal cells, that are those little memories of new life and what it can be as we move forward into the world. On Easter, we celebrate the good news that the tombs in our lives, all the places where we experience death and despair and violence and pain and injustice, that these are not the end of the story. That Jesus helps us find a different way. A way that overcomes that violence and that death. And so as we hear the call to remember, we also hear the call to move forward. In other uh, stories of scripture of the Easter morning, the women are told to go back to Galilee, but not in Luke's gospel. They stay in Jerusalem and they go and they begin to tell their story. It doesn't all make sense to them yet any more than it does to us. But they report what they've seen and what they've heard. And even though the first disciples thought it was an idle tale, Peter himself believed it enough to go and look in the tomb. And they told their story enough times that people heard it and believed it and it grew. And we carry those stories with us today. It's those imaginal cells that they carried forward to bring about the hope and the life of the early church. And it's the imaginal cells that we carry with us into the world, into the future that we are being drawn into, even though we can't see it yet. We have the memory of what Jesus taught us and showed us that it's a world based on loving your neighbor as yourself of welcoming the stranger of showing compassion to those in need of taking care of each other this is not to say there will not be more death in our world, more violence, more injustice. But what we know and what we proclaim on Easter is that this is not the end of the story. So friends, may we trust in the new life that is still to emerge. And may we proclaim the good news that Christ is risen. Amen.